Welcome to the show, folks. It is Thursday. I'm David Hansen. We have another great interview uh, today. We have Morgan Housel sitting down with financial blogger and financial advisor Josh Brown. Uh, Josh is very smart, very entertaining, and coupled with Morgan, it's a fantastic interview. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is Morgan Housel. Joining us in our New York studio today is a famous Josh Brown. He just wrote the book Clash of the Financial Pundits with Jeff Mackey. It's a fantastic book that looks behind the scenes at the business of being a business pundit. No one else has done this. It was a phenomenal book. I'd highly recommend it for all investors or even if you're just interested about media and business out there. All right, let's stop right there. Done. That's, that was perfect. That was it. You want to just go Good home now? You, Good to see you, Josh. <laughs> One thing uh, that I, a question I still had after reading your book. Yeah. There's just been an explosion of punditry over the last 20 years, from the rise of 24/7 cable and then the explosion of blogs and Twitter. Do you think we are, as investors, better informed now than we were 20 years ago? Because there's more information than ever, but it's some of it's great and some of it is just total noise. I don't know that I would ever say the investor class is well informed, and this is predate 20 years ago. Go back hundreds of years. I, I don't think people have ever, like in in the aggregate, had a really good idea about what they were doing with investing. It's always a small group of people that figure it out and then have success. That being said, does the plethora of access to new information, constant information, helping people? Probably not. And you know, what you, you write in the book, I said there's been an explosion over the last 20 years, but this yeah. is the business of punditry has pretty much been the same for decades, if not, if not centuries. It's people who are dead certain about their views, very fr frequently wrong, but people keep coming back and back and back again. Well, we want certainty. As, as human beings, we crave it. Um, and so when somebody comes along and presents something in the guise of, hey, I know what's going to happen, the part of your brain that's supposed to tell you, hey, there's no possible way this guy knows what's going to happen, it actually shuts itself off involuntarily. That's how desperate we are for semblance of order and certainty about the future. Um, our anxieties go away. All the scientific studies uh, show this. Our anxieties vanish in the presence of somebody speaking with certainty. So if you know that, and, well, you might not even need to know it. It's innate. But if you're a professional pundit, you tend to get a much bigger and better reaction when you pound the table. So you're going to keep doing that because the producers keep putting you back on TV, the newspaper uh, men keep citing you. You know, you, once you're certain, then all of a sudden you have people's attention. And even if you're wrong repeatedly, it almost doesn't matter. As long as you continue to be very forthcoming about your opinions and not shy away from, from fighting over them, uh, you're going to be in the mainstream and you're going to be in the public eye. I mean, there's always a time when you see people who have been wrong time and time again, and you sure. think, okay, this guy's been wrong, wrong so many times, people are going to forget about him. And it's never true. Decades later, after being wrong for so long, they're still kind of keep coming back and coming back. Well, there's a couple of things going on there. The first is, once you have a name, you almost never lose your CFP, which is your Certified Financial Pundit's License. So once you've established yourself as a, quote, name, you're very bookable, you're marketable, so if, if, if a magazine gets a profile with you, then they can put your name on the cover, they know people are going to buy it. And that wears off, but over time, to varying degrees. So that really helps. The second thing is, we are always uh, hearing from people who are really articulate, who, you know, they, they, they have a really uh, enticing intellectual manner about them. And we enjoy listening to that. Whether it's right or wrong is not the point. It's entertaining. It's thought-provoking. It makes us think. 
Um, and, and I could rattle off a list of 10 people that fall into that category. I don't specifically know what their track record is. I know of some abysmal, abysmal failures they've had uh, in recent history, but it almost doesn't matter. It's like, oh, there's that guy again. I like him. I like his brand. I like his haircut, his smile. He says really funny, witty, smart things. And that's okay. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the same thing you watch ESPN or, or you, you watch like an uh, NBA game on, on TNT. I don't know what Charles Barkley's record is of calling games, but who cares? Charles Barkley, I want to hear what he has to say. So there are a lot of people in your book that talked about that, too, that there's, there is an entertainment side of what they're doing. And, sure. I, and it makes sense. I, I always wonder, does the person at home reading it, the mom-and-pop investor, know that it's entertainment? Or are they taking it seriously and putting their retirement money on these, uh, you know, based on what they hear on TV? I'm going to tell you something interesting about financial media. Of all the verticals, um, across different types of news. For all the verticals, financial media is the only one where there's supposed to be some sort of a responsibility that comes along with it. Maybe politics a little. But when you think about fashion, art, sports, Hollywood gossip, all of these different huge categories of news, by the way, most of those dwarf financial news, uh, there is no responsibility. And people don't watch ESPN and then think they're supposed to go out and play tackle football with 300-pound guys. Like, but for some reason, when they watch financial or business news, they then take the next step uh, in a lot of cases, and they say, well, I'm supposed to act on this now. I'm supposed to do something about this. Part of that is on the fault of the media. The word actionable gets thrown, out, thrown around a lot. Yeah. It's like, actionable for who? Oh, I don't know. It's just actionable, right? So that, so, but a lot of the responsibility is on the, pun, on the, the public, and I think what most people do incorrectly is they focus on the news of the day, the stocks that are moving on a given day, whatever's driving the markets now, but they've got no background whatsoever in how to invest because they haven't read any books. So it's news, 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 news. I'm an expert. I could tell you Microsoft beat earnings, J&J &J missed earnings, the Fed said this, the ECB said that. Okay, great. How many books have you read about portfolio construction, asset allocation? long-term retirement income plan, zero. I don't read books, right? So that, I mean, that's, how much can you blame the financial media for that? You know, people step into the arena without having educated themselves. The fact that they're led in one direction or the other by a radio show or a TV show or financial Twitter, that's on them. And I think that's a huge number of people, unfortunately. We were talking earlier about so much in finance is, is basically doing nothing, and it's not active trading. You had a tweet this morning that I loved. You said, update, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you imagine that. You're, you're, the only, you're one of the only commentators out there that could say something like that. And it feels like, to me, one of the problems with punditry is that you're forced to say something when you might have nothing to say. And that, that's not even true for just punditry. It's true for all of Wall Street and brokers and bankers. That so many times the, you, sure. there you have nothing to say, you gotta, but you're you being paid it, to talk. So you got to keep it interesting for, for the clientele. So if you're a chief strategist at a Wall Street brokerage firm and you've got you know, institutional clients and retail clients and all of the various people that work there exist to serve these people, they need morning notes. They need something. So in the absence of having something really important to say, what you see now is a lot of them have these quantitative research departments and they go out and mine for data. And they put out a note in the morning, this is only the eighth time in history that the NASDAQ has done this while the VIX was doing it. It means nothing, right? Who the f cares? <laughs> but, but, you know, that's, oh, it's a talking point. I can get on the phone with this. The, uh, the broker can go to his client and say, hey, I'm not sure if you saw our piece. And it's like, it's like this industrial complex and the wheels need to turn. 
and what turns the wheels, what fuels the whole thing, is trivia most of the time. But there's, there's no way that you could put out a research note that said, update, I have no idea what's going on, and charge $25,000. That so that's my research this morning. H how's business going? Is it, Bus business is, is it fine. going? My clients, I, this is going to sound conceited, I but I genuinely believe my clients are smarter than the average investor. Right? It's not that I don't. It's not that they're better investors. I think it's bigger than that. I think by the time they've come to us, they've already seen a lot of the other side, where people are making it up as they go along. People are pretending they have an edge and this and that. I think by the time they come to us, they've already seen. Okay, that's not going to work as a long. So right. So, and it's not that we're so much smarter than everyone. It's just that we have a really defined role that we play on the portfolio side. We don't deviate from it. And it may be better or it may be worse than anyone else's approach in a given year. I don't make any promises. But I know long term what the data suggests about our approach. And that is it's going to work better for most people who could stick to it. So when people come to me, they say, well, Josh, what's going on with the market today? Well, I can give you, you know, the 10 things that everyone else is saying. And then I could say none of it makes any sense to me. Or okay, now you know what's happening today, but there's no correlation with what that might mean tomorrow. To some investors, that's unsatisfying, but I think to a majority of the people that I talk to, it's actually really satisfying. It's that, that lack of certainty is almost reassuring because they know there's no pretend. As someone who reads a lot of financial news, how do you filter out what's good and what's not to get to your daily reading list? People have asked me that, like, you, all right, so you're saying that the news is not that important, and yet you're swimming in it. You're, right. you're reading about it, you're tweeting about it, you're linking to it, you're talking about it on, on the air. Um, the, the way I've explained this in the past, first of all, I don't think the right approach to make yourself immune to something is to avoid it. I think you have to subject yourself to it. And we see people walking around with Purell all the time on their hands, and they're always sick because they have no, you know, they're picking up ger a germ that they have no immunity to fight. Um, and I've explained this. There's a great scene in, in the first Avengers movie. You know, early on in the movie, uh, Tony Stark asks Bruce, Bruce Banner, the Hulk, you know, what's your secret? How do you keep the Hulk contained? How do you keep yourself from getting enraged and flying into, like, this Hulk rage? Uh, he doesn't tell him until later in the movie, but he, he basically says, my secret is I'm always angry. I'm mad all the time. My secret for being a good consumer of financial content, opinion, news, is the fact that I'm swimming in it to such a degree that very little of it really has a huge effect on me. If you try to keep yourself from it, if you put yourself in a cave um, and then all of a sudden come back to it, it's going to sweep you over. It's going to be just a tidal wave over your head because not having the exposure to it for a long enough period of time, you forget about how trivial so much of it is. And then all of a sudden, you're going to start hearing really bullish people or really bearish people, and you're going to be susceptible to their message. And you're going to start doing things based on how their opinions are affecting you. So I think the media diet is largely a myth. I think the idea that we can completely shut ourselves off to what's happening in the financial news is probably not going to work. I think a better approach is to have context. That's why we wrote the book. Really understand where these opinions are coming from, how they get formed, why is this guy on TV, why is that guy being quoted in the paper, what does this mean? And I think once you become savvier and a little bit wiser to the world, you know, from that respect, it gets easier. 
your your first book was Backstage Wall Street. This is basically backstage punditry. What's next? Backstage Josh Brown household. Yeah, no, I think I'm probably going to do uh, for my for my next book. I'm probably going to do something that's a little bit more investment related. Um, I've kind of been dancing around it. I think the, the the main reason is that there are a million investment books, and if Buffett's already said it, uh, you know, and and uh, Jack's already said it, and what what more do I have to add to that? So I think what I'll probably do is try to take that uh, and make it a little bit more utilitarian rather than, you know, big, broad, sweeping generalizations about keep your investing low cost, do this, do that. I think I'll actually try to do something a little bit more mechanical. But, you know, my wife will divorce me if I start that project anytime soon. We, so. we do it like Ben Horowitz and start every chapter with, like, a Snoop Dogg quote? Yeah. I don't know if that would go over well with the intended audience, but, you know... Yeah, you never know. Um, I, I honestly think that there are too many, too many books saying the same thing about investments. And I think that there's room for a book written by someone who's tried every other method of investing and failed and can relate those failures. Hey, I did this for two years. Here's why it didn't work. Or I did this for five years. I had trouble sticking to it. So would you. Here's why. That book really hasn't been written. And I feel like you're the right like, person to write it. You've been you've been a trader. You've been an index fund asset allocator. You you've 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 done the whole. I've I've done everything there is to do. I've made every mistake you can make, um, and I don't regret any of them because they're all things that you have to do yourself in order to be on the the road to uh, rational you know rational behavior. It's one thing. Look, you can read a book that tells you here's the right way to invest. It's not the same as actually making the mistakes that cause you to see the light. So, you know, that's something that I'd be interested in doing where it's not, hey, look at me, the greatest investor ever. It's more like, hey, here's all the things that you shouldn't do, and I'm going to give you some real-world examples. Either it's happened to me or it's happened to other people and I've seen it, but here's why you don't do those things ever again. And, that, that, you know, that's probably a book that hasn't really been written or at least that I know of, and maybe that's something I'll do in a couple of years. Clash of the Financial Pundits is a book. Josh, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Morgan. That is our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow on Friday with our final interview of the week with Megan McArdle, a columnist over at Bloomberg. We'll see you then.